Kia ora, I'm Anne O'Brien, Director of the Auckland Writers' Festival, and you're listening to a 2016 festival podcast proudly powered by Spark. Australian slam poet, novelist and hip-hop artist Omar Musa and New Zealand hip-hop legend King Kapisi came together at this year's festival for an a cappella match-up, emceed by Nick Dwyer. Each artist had 25 minutes to impress with their rhymes and beat. Both wowed the crowd in a standout session supported by APRA AMCOS. We hope you enjoy it. First up, representing uh, Queen Bian in Australia. He is an award-winning author. He is a poet. He is a rapper. He won the uh, Australian Poetry Slam in 2008. And his, uh, his uh, debut novel, uh, Here Come the Dogs, which was released in 2014, was shortlisted for the Miles Franklin uh, Prize. It got incredible write-ups in the LA Times, the New Yorker, the Guardian. Uh, Irvine Welsh is a fan. And uh, the man even performed alongside the legendary Gil Scott Heron. Give it up for Omar Musa. And... This next gentleman uh, representing Samoa and Aotearoa needs no introduction whatsoever. I remember, you know, being 17 and working at radio stations and music channels in the, in the mid to late 90s. And when subcranium feeling dropped, that combination of submariner beats and this man's flows was a monumental time in the history of New Zealand hip hop. He uh, released his debut album, Savage Thoughts, in 2001, an incredible album. And it must be noted in 1999, he was the first ever hip hop artist in New Zealand to win the Silver Scroll. Please give it up for King Capisi. Gentlemen, so good to, uh, to have you on stage. And, uh, you know, before we get into things, um, I'll give you a breakdown of how the session's going to work. But it must be noted, um, you know, you're both familiar with each other's work. You know each other. You're, you've, you've, I, I, I'm going to hazard, I guess, performance together on the stage. Um, I've, I've released, I've been hitting Australia for about the last 20 years, 20 years. And um, I met uh, Omar maybe around... 10 years ago, maybe 12, 13 years ago. And so I've, I've, I'm very familiar with his work and his style as a as a MC. I really respect my bro, and it's really nice to have him here. We'd like to welcome my bro to, to our shores, Aotearoa, once again. Thank you. And it's... Uh it's funny, Omar, because your introduction to the music of King Capisi, there's a bit of a story there, I believe. Yeah. Is this one? Yeah, it's on. Um, <laughs> I, I grew up in Queanbeyan, New South Wales, a small town uh, in Australia, right next to the capital, Canberra. And uh, I went to quite a, a white school um, in, in Canberra, the capital. And uh, my best friend from year eight onwards was a Samoan guy who had come over and he felt really, really homesick. Um, for Samoa and he kind of saw me across the playground and I think he immediately thought I was Samoa and so he sort of made a beeline to me and we started hanging out and then he found out that I was actually Asian and Muslim and he was like, oh, oh we can still be friends, you know, it's all right. But, um, and so we were really good friends after that and I remember he came back um, from a holiday in New Zealand a few years later and he just had this CD, Savage Thoughts, and he was like, man, you need to listen to this. It's like the coolest thing you'll ever hear. And I was amazed by it because, you know, I wasn't that into Australian hip-hop at the time, but... Um, when I saw it, you know, Bill just seemed like such an outlier, such an anomaly. He was so thoroughly himself. It was hip-hop, but he was doing it in such a new way. And, I, you know, uh, he was wearing a lover lover on the front, and I would wear sarongs at home. And I just, you know, I, could, I felt like I could relate to it. And so, yeah, it's a real honor to be sharing the stage with you, man. Fifteen years yeah. later. All right, so how it's going to work, uh, you know, this evening, it's... Um, 
And celebrate, you know, it's, it's about the, the power of the naked word. This, isn't, this is not a battle. This is not anyone that's turned up thinking we're going to see a recreation of, of 8 Mile. This is, this is not what this is about. Um, you know, it's a celebra- it's celebration of that storytelling aspect, all of, all of those things. And how it's going to work is we're going to kick off uh, with a track, um, any track of, of, of the guy's choice, to, you know, to give you guys a taste of what it is they do. Second up, we're going to go for a classic track, you know, uh, that hip-hop classic back in the day that almost was the track that inspired them to, to put pen to paper and pick up a microphone themselves. Um, the third round, we're going to go into, you know, something that this, this idea of, of storytelling and sometimes, you know, it's, it's, it's not nice telling a story. Um, if it's it, things that are close to home, something personal, something harrowing, something that was quite difficult to write. So that will be the third section. The fourth section uh, is going to be lyrical prowess, which, uh, as Capisi said earlier on, man, that's every single one of my tracks. So it's going to be, and it's true, it's true. So, you know, that, that kind of the breakneck, the syllables, the, the, the oral uh, dexterity. We're going to be seeing that in that uh, in that section, and then finally we're going to round it off with uh, you know a little bit of a I don't know round off on a, on, on, a, on a maximum vibes note. So I guess we'll um, yeah we'll kick it off uh, with you Omar, your first up. So this is uh, let's just do it. I track. I track uh, tell us what the track is that you've chosen and, and why you've chosen this track. Okay, it's a song that I just wrote with a Tongan Australian rapper, a Sikh Australian rapper, and an Israeli singer, and it's called <laughs> very multi. I've got all covers, all bases covered. Uh, it's a, um, it's called "The Past Becomes You," and it was inspired by a conversation with my grandmother. Actually, my grandmother is um, from Borneo, East Malaysia, a small island in the archipelago, and um, she was living on the streets from the age of eight. And she was very impressed by the fact that I had gone to school and university, and that I had learned to read and write. And she had never learned how to read or write. And she told me something that I had never heard before, which was um, that when she was living on the streets, she had actually created over 50 rhyming poems in her head that she said had helped her survive and to endure her hard times and her struggles. And I sort of realized, yeah, yeah, give it up for my grandma, the, uh, the original, the OG. <laughs> So, you know, it sometimes seems very modern what we're doing, but we all know that it's, it's very ancient. So let me tell you about a father and son feud. Me and him were making art of war like Sun Tzu. In our calmer moments, he was vibing off the drum kick flow and the mic check one, two. He would hear the freestyles that his son do. Told him it reminded him of days in the kampung, making up rhymes called puntuns. Little kids in the villages, kind of funny how the past becomes you. It's a cycle, move round and round, back and forth like the tidal. Waves from the tribal, drums of the past to the black on the vinyl. Felt it from the day of my arrival. Is it a surprise that I fly over oceans when my ancestors were sailors and pirates, trading and floating, boats full of spices? Now I pack trunks with a crate full of flavor, some vocals. Did they know it when they planted the seed? That the poetry would grow into a family tree? Many fruits, many flavors, the canopy to shade us, the music in the leaves help the planet to breathe. We're passing on our breath to our children, the brilliant diamond cut hope and resilience. Heaven lit legacy, I'm trying to be a better me. The past is the now, the now is ahead of me. Let it breathe. Thanks. So one, one more time, that was a track called? Uh, the past Becomes You. All right, Capisi, uh, standing up now. Uh, <clears throat> what would you like to, uh, to kick off with this evening? I've, I've, I've been trying to figure out how I'm going to do this. I'm really quite nervous. 
And, um, you know, I've been practicing in my room and I've just like, my wife's been going like, what are you doing? I'm like, I've got to get up and rap to some people. So um, I'm really, uh, this is quite different for me and not having music behind us. But it does really show you how strong lyrics and language can actually be. So being able to do this is, a lot of my songs, it's about lyrical prowess. There's a lot of songs that I talk about colonialism and those type of things that affect Polynesian men that's brought in the South Pacific. So, I mean, it affects all of us. But this song that I've been trying to think, I just heard Omar's, but, and I was like, damn, that's a nice one. All, <laughs> all, of, all of my ones are sort of like, go for the throat ones. Um, go for the throat. So, okay. Throat. <laughs> okay, hey, hey guys. This, this track is called... Uh, Elimination process, and so when you're an MC, you have to like either get up on stage and you know be quite good. You know what I mean? There's no use getting up on stage for hours and hours and be no good. So, elimination process is basically a song about removing MCs. Okay, so here's the chorus. You a phony ass gangster, wanna be mobsters. I hang with two MCs, be boys and be boxers. Bring dread like rosters, schooling whack imposters. Remove a fake ass through elimination process. You a phony ass gangster, wanna be mobsters. I hang with two MCs, with boy, be boys and be boxers. Bring dread like rosters, schooling whack imposters. Remove all fake ass through elimination process. Okay, here we go. This track's been forged like an assassin's sword, stomping like the Yeti, folding paper vocal cords. Here come the lords, true rulers of the underground. Chief rocker with that next hip-hop rugged sound. My beatbox Sasquats while the beat drops. Watching my enemies survey them from the rooftops. Hands in the air, keep them there where my grooves rock. Rocking sound systems from these concerts to your boombox. Yo, that's how it goes when I'm laying down laws. All these haters keep on rapping those jaws. Watch for con snatches, these rapping axes. I swing axes, death follows when I practice drowning MCs like a renegade Baptist, like Bibles and hotels study my chapters counter strike you like a sniper from the rafters assassination by a elimination process, yes okay see it's like oh. thank you so much King Capisi cheers, cheers, cheers for that it's like, uh, I didn't actually understand what he said <laughs> I was like, uh, can you rewind that one back? So I guess you know that now's the point of the session where we, uh, where we, you know, we get a bit of a, a bit of a history, history lesson. You know, um, as, as I mentioned uh, in that introduction, you know, hip hop has been around for well more than four decades now. When you think about it, um, uh, and you know, and started off in the South, South Bronx, uh, rose to prominence through you know through the rest of uh, the boroughs of New York City, and then slowly but surely spread out to to the world. And um, you know, it. Uh, it influenced a lot of young people all around the world and uh, inspired them to be that next generation to, to take their own local style of hip-hop. And, uh, you know, for you, uh, Omar, what was that moment? What was the moment when you first became aware of hip-hop and the power of hip-hop? I can remember it really well, actually, because uh, my dad was a preacher man. Uh, he would lead the Friday prayers um, at a local room that we had for the community. And, uh, you know, I'd always been into poetry and storytelling. Like in Malay culture, storytelling, a storyteller is named Punglipur Lara, and this means a dispeller of worries or a reliever of sorrows. And every village would have their own storyteller, and sometimes it was mixed up with black magic a little bit as well. And... Um, 
And so when I was in my early teens, I was trying to figure out who I was and it felt like, you know, I was experiencing a lot of discrimination and racism in Australia. And, but my father and my mother always said, no, you should be proud of your heritage and proud of your religion, if, even if other people tell you that it's not the right thing or, or that there's something wrong with it. So I was looking for these kind of Muslim role models and um, I, I didn't really see that many public figures in Australia, like Muslim role models. And so I was asking my dad, oh, who's a, who's, a, who's a cool Muslim dude? And my dad was like, well, you know, the coolest Muslim guy that ever lived, besides the Prophet Muhammad, of course, was, <laughs> was uh, a trash-talking, braggadocio boxer from Kentucky called Muhammad Ali, right? <laughs> Who was maybe even one of the original rappers, really, because he was a poet, you know? And so I really got into him and into the Nation of Islam and everything, and I taped on VHS this documentary about the Nation of Islam, and right at the end, there was this tiny little section about the five percenters, this kind of small offshoot, um, and how it influenced New York hip hop. And, uh, and there was this 30 second clip of these two guys jumping up and down on stage, kind of in this 80s Technicolor, and one of them had this kind of deep, distinctive preacher's voice, kind of like my dad's actually, and then the other guy was more of a wild Cartier, his hat backwards, he had gold teeth and like a clock around his neck. And, um, and it was Public Enemy, and I just fell in love. I knew immediately then it was like fearless, ferocious, powerful, personal, political poetry, essentially. Um, and then through that, I got into Ice Cube because he was going into, he was in this Muslim phase uh, in The Predator. And, uh, and, and so it connected that, that he, it connected um, the Islam and the storytelling. So I'm going to do, uh, it was a good day. Is it my turn now? Yeah. 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 I probably will forget some of this. It's been a long time, but this, I just remember loving this. And uh, some of it's a bit profane, so I'm sure, you know, just deal with it. Just waking up, I'm going to do it in my Aussie accent too, because I think it's really natural. Just waking up in the morning, got to thank God. I don't know, but today seems kind of odd. No barking from the dogs, no smog. And mama cooked a breakfast with no hog. I got my grub on, but didn't pig out. Finally got a call from a girl I want to dig out. I hooked it up on later as I hit the door, thinking, will I live another 24? I got to go because I got me a drop top. And if I hit the switch, I could make the ass drop. I had to stop at a red light, looking in my mirror, not a jackery in sight and everything is all right i got a beep from kim and she can fuck all night I, i'll tell you a funny story about that by the way <laughs> i knew this girl called kim no no the um i remember recently ice cube was interviewed about this and they were like oh whatever happened to kim and he said oh well i married her and had four kids there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Got a bit, oh no. Called up the homies and I'm asking y'all, which court are y'all playing basketball? Get me on the court and I'm trouble. Last week fucked around and got a triple-double. Freaking brothers every way like MJ. I can't believe today was a good day. Uh, went to the pad and hit the showers. I didn't even get no static from the cowards. Because just yesterday, them fools tried to blast me. Saw the police and they rolled right past me. No flexing. Didn't even look in a brother's direction when I ran the intersection. I went to Short Dog's house. They was playing your MTV raps. What's the haps on the craps? Shake them up, shake them up, shake them up, shake them. Roll them in a circle of brothers and watch me break them with a seven. Seven eleven, seven eleven. 11, 7 even backdoor little Joe. I picked up the cash flow. Then we played Bones and I'm yelling Domino. Plus nobody I know got killed in South Central LA. Today was a good day. Yeah. <laughs> 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 okay.
And so, you know, Capisi, for you, uh, you know, paint us a picture of, of, you know, what was going on for you around the time that you first got introduced to, to hip-hop. Uh, my brother was a DJ, my cousin was the DJ, and they, and they brought home a record. I think uh, they used to bring the Sugar Hill gang, ar- gang around, and the first record that I brought, I personally put my money into was Walk This Way from Run DMC. And um, that was huge for me. I was like, wow, check that out. These guys are amazing. And, you know, I was just saying to the boys just behind that, who would have thought that writing poetry or writing lyrics on a page could actually take you around the world? That's one of the things that I keep on freaking out about this thing. It's the music has been able to take us around the world, see and do incredible gigs that we've ne- you never thought that a little Samoan boy would have actually have done. And so we've done some little. incredible things with just these. <laughs> thanks, cheers, but, you know, <laughs> with these little, you know, these things that we, we that's just language and it's incredible. So on the Public Enemy thing, I was a huge Public Enemy fan. I was able to support them one time when they were here in Wellington, and I got this funny. Who knows who Flavor Flavor is? Yeah. He's this dude that walks around at the clock. He's a counterpart of Chuck D. And I saw him. I was down in Wellington. I'm from Wellington. I was walking down Manor's Mall. And I saw him. And I was like, he's got his clock on. (laughs) And guess what? I had my clock on. (laughs) Yeah, so I walked up to him and I said, bro, I'm your biggest fan. There's no one else on the streets walking around with a clock but me. (laughs) Could I actually have your clock? And he gave me his clock. And no, he gave me his clock and I gave me I gave him my clock so he knew what time it was. So it was pretty crazy. Clock? Yeah, oh it was crazy. And so yeah, we were able to support them a couple of more times, but um No. Uh, I was I was gutted my mum sort of threw it away when I wasn't there. I was like, Mom, it was Flavor Flav's clock, but it's I was like, Where's the clock? Where's the clock, Mum? She goes, Oh, I threw it out with her. I was like, oh wicked. So um but another MC rapper that was really influential was me. His name was Rakim. And um, I ended up naming my son uh, Rakim. His name was either going to be Chuck D or Rakim. And then my dad, my son was like, I'm glad you named me Rakim, Dad. And my name's not Chuck D. I say, all good. So um, the song that I chose was a, was a song called uh, Paid in Full. Um, I hope one of you guys, you guys would have learned it or heard it. Uh, the beat went sort of like this. It went... And then the rap went Thinking of a master plan There ain't nothing but sweat inside my hand So I dig into my pocket All my money spent so I can deeper Still coming up with land So I start my mission Leave my residence Thinking how could I get some dead presidents I need money I used to be a stick up kid So I think of all the devious things I did I used to roll up This is a hold up Ain't nothing funny Stop smiling Still nothing move but the money But now I learn to earn Cause I'm righteous I feel great So maybe I might just search for a 9 to 5 Cause if I strive Then maybe I'll stay alive so I walk up the street whistling this, feeling out of place. Cause man, do I miss a pen and a paper, a stereo, a taper, me and Eric being a nice big plate of fish, which is my favorite dish. Cause without no money, it's still a wish. Cause I don't want to dream about getting paid. So I dig into the books of all the rhymes that I made. So now's a test, see if I got pulled. So hit the studio, cause I'm paid in full, 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 full. That was one of my favorite raps. I, I liked it. 
Now, Omar, you know, just before uh, King Capisi, you know, shared that story of, of performing alongside uh, Public Enemy. And, you know, one thing I've got to ask you, because, you know, we, 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 we touched on it uh, outside before this session started. Um, and I mentioned it in the introduction, but uh, you got the opportunity to perform alongside uh, Gil Scott Heron. Man, can you tell us about that quickly? Because and, and explain, I mean, I'm sure a lot of these people in the audience do know just how much of a legend and what Gil Scott Heron represents. But, um, yeah, just for people that don't, who is Well, this? yeah, I mean, legendary uh, spoken word artist, kind of proto-rapper almost. Um, amazing singer as well and songwriter. Um, had had a lot of hard, hardships in his life, I think, especially with drugs and everything. But, um, you know, so many great rappers cite him as an inspiration. Um, and... I, uh, and then The Revolution Will Not Be Televised, obviously, a, a very a classic poem. And um, I had performed in Germany, in Munich. They did this weird thing where they kind of had two train carriages going around the whole city and they had poets from all around the world, kind of, and a bar on the train, and then people would just cram in and you'd kind of be swaying around just performing poetry. And after that, uh, one of the ladies from the Munich Ministry of Culture or whatever it was, was just kind of offhandedly said, oh, by the way, next year we're trying to bring Gil Scott Heron out. We could maybe try and get you to do the support or something. I don't know if you're interested. And I was kind of like, what? wait, what? What'd you say? And, and so I just kept harassing her for like months after that. I'd be like, what happened with the Gil Scott? What's, what's going on with that? And eventually they, uh, they, they flew me out there to Munich and, um, and they changed the venue to this huge kind of empty train station. It was brilliant. There was like, you know, everyone was coming out to see him, but it didn't seem like likely that he might turn up because I think that um, he'd been in London and there'd been thousands of people waiting and he hadn't turned up and they'd kind of found him wandering around in Brixton somewhere kind of barefoot and um, you know it was kind of kind of tragic but he did turn up in Munich and and just a, a side note a really cool story so I was performing with a sax player from Birmingham called Soweto Kinch who, who's, who's a rapper and a, and a sax player and um he had been eight years old and his dad took him to a Gil Scott Heron concert and Gil Scott Heron's sax player gave him a book on how to play the sax, right? So when we supported Gil, it was the same sax player and he didn't know and he came up to Soweto after we got off stage and he said, you're making some damn nice sounds out of that horn right there. <laughs> like that. And, you know, of course, Soweto was just blown away and it had come full circle. So it was beautiful, yeah. You know, I gotta, I gotta ask the question as well. You know, you you spoke before about um, you know discovering discovering hip hop and and uh, you know being inspired by you know Public Enemy and and you know as we heard uh, Ice Cube. But when did you start kind of delving more into you know the the poetry side of things and and the, and the, the, that New York scene of kind of slam poetry? When did you discover that? Um, I think. Uh it's relatively new in Australia. I mean, I'd seen it once before in the States, and but I hadn't really connected it in my head uh, with, with my hip-hop, and, and I never really saw it as something I wanted to do. But I came. I was in Australia, I was in my hometown, and this guy was trying to start a poetry slam in Canberra, and they couldn't get anyone to be in it, and uh, they, they couldn't make up the numbers. So this guy called me in desperation to make up the numbers, and he kind of... Because he knew that rappers always have a lot of lyrics in their head, you know? So he was like, please, man, can you come along and just like do the raps without the music and I was like oh yeah I think I could do that and so I kind of turned up and um and I was amazed at how people were focusing on these lyrics you know it's two different types of energy I, I sort of I love the energy of a hip-hop show when the walls are sweating and people are jumping up and down and sometimes there's a bad system and everyone's wasted and everything but you know they don't necessarily kind of hear these lyrics that you've been slaving over for ages and um 
And so with the spoken word, I was amazed that they were that they were listening very closely. And I went on to win the Australian Poetry Slam after that at the um, Sydney Opera House. And uh, and that's what kind of got me into it. And then starting to go to, oh thanks, yeah, <laughs> it was years ago now. It feels like ancient history, but. Uh, and then that's where I started meeting novelists and stuff as well, and playwrights, and just really questioning them, like what you know, what they were about as well. Um, all right, well, I'm gonna we'll, we'll start with you for this next round, Capisi. Um, you know, and 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 I guess you know, as we've been talking about, <clears throat> you know, this whole idea that when when hip hop began, it it was it was it was an outlet to to tell stories, to you know, the the gritty realisms of of how life uh, was in 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 certain parts of the of the world, and. You know, for you, Bill, when you first started putting pen to paper, was would, was was that what you wanted hip hop to be—a medium for you to tell stories, to show people the realities of things, or or that kind of happened as you you know as you went on? Uh, when I started rapping, I started rapping because uh, I guess my friend next to me was just writing rhymes, and I said, "What are you doing, bro?" And he goes, oh, "I'm writing raps." I said, "What's that?" You know, and so he was just like goofing off at the back and I was goofing off at the back too and he sort of t taught me how to beatbox. So that was one of the things we just sat, sat there went and, and I was like, oh wow, and I learned how to do that. But the, the whole thing about the, the rapping buzz for me is that just being able to... I'm a musician, I play about seven instruments as well. And so the, the thing for me was that it was ex extension of music, being able to uh, express yourself and, and be a, a Polynesian because all the rap that was coming was from New York. And we were like, yeah, and people were like walking around. We used to have like guys wearing clothes backwards and stuff back in the day and it was really quite weird. But at that time it was cool and we're like, that was the style. But I always wanted to, to do something I said, once I traveled overseas, I was like, that's cool. But the cool thing that made South Pacific, South Pacific was the Pacific Islanders. And, you know, I put the Māori in that as well. That's the thing that makes New Zealand, Aotearoa, South Pacific unique is because that's the one thing that makes that, you know, you got goddamn. And so the thing for me, I, I, I wanted to, because uh, I direct and edit my own music videos now. And so the one thing I wanted to do, I didn't want to portray Americans. So what I did was I dressed up like how I do when I'm back home in the village, put my ear level love and my jandals on, went back home to Samoa, shot a music video. And, and, and to me, that was really, really the catalyst for, uh, I remember when we were young, I, I, me and Shay, Shay was in Supergroove. I, we were, I was in another group called Gifted and Brown. And I said to him, bro, you be Neil Finn, I'll be Dave Dobbin. You know, and, and, and we were like, yeah, bro, let's, let's, let's be classic dudes like those guys. You know, and, and then, you know, it sort of happened. And the cool thing, too, was that I wanted to do was to say, okay, those, there's like hundreds of rappers from America. Let's just be the people that represents the South Pacific. So of all, in all the imagery that I put on my music videos, I can, you know, be in a car like a normal rapper, but then I go back and just shoot stuff on a farm. You know, so that's that's representing South Pacific hip hop and where we're from. Even though I speak English, but you know, even though we're rapping in English, it's still Samoan hip hop. Yeah. yeah. And I was stoked actually. I went to Samoa a few years ago, and I was in Savaii, and I uh, just passed. Um, actually, my friend's wedding was uh, the, the guy who'd given me the CD. It was um, in uh, Fangamalo, and so I was just like, I couldn't believe it. it kind of connected in my head in, from scream, uh, yeah, screams from the old plantation, yeah. And so that was just, yeah, it's crazy how it comes around, man. So this, uh, you know, this 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 next section, um, you know, a track that was, um, you know, for you maybe it's it's a, a personal tale, or or something that you know you really wanted to speak out about in in your lyrics, uh, maybe talking about, um, you know, the, the plight faced by you know Samoan people here, Polynesian people here in New Zealand, or just something that's personal, yeah, that uh, maybe something slightly harrowing. 
I mean, for me, guys, uh, um, you know, don't judge me, but I'm an atheist. Uh, that's just how I am. That's very different for a Pacific Islander not to be an atheist. I'm like in the 1% by myself, where I'm standing by myself, and they're like, hey. Um, it's just that for me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's good, I could make you laugh. Wicked. <laughs> the, the, the thing for me is that, and this is honest, I talk about it in my raps, that if you have religion that sometimes just puts you a bit of steer of the love that you have for your family or makes you put your focus onto something else or we're just going to give our money to that person, I don't know who that person is. That sort of thing sort of messes with me. It's like you don't need religion to be a nice person. And so that's, that's how I believe. And I go, well, I talked this a couple of times, I've been in a bad place and I've talked to God and he didn't talk back. So I was like, well, dude, if you talk to me right now, I'm going to be your biggest follower. And it, nothing happened. So I just said, oh, okay, cool, wicked. Tried it once. I'm not going to do it again. But within the Pacific Island communities, that's very a taboo thing. And I'm all right with talking about it. My mum says don't talk about it. But, but I'm all right with that. So uh, one of the songs that I, the, the song that I um, uh, got the uh, Silver Scroll was, uh, for was called a song called Reverse Resistance. And um, here's the first verse to it. I'm just going to sit down, if that's cool with you, because standing up all the time, so sit down, stand up, sit down. Okay, here's first verse. Fake lead, only for their best interests. I rebel flagrant, deceit fragrances by your shoulder. Odor, six feet deep, cue tombstones topple. The stamina is crumble, re-energize hope, then it's all down slope. The truth emerges, funny the coin drops. Thoughts bewitched by Salem's lot, presence of preachers. I'm an atheist, glad to meet you. Rape of consciousness in my Pacific, remember it. Tug walls on optics, just a switch of Catholic perception. Dimension on this tune called religion. August of ruins, lend the lead. False hopes who feed, beliefs in hierarchy. Use what furthers, this ring of fire's only true and real sire. English monarchy, green stained facts about the original man. Fee fi fo dumb, Polynesians origin. Pacific basin, my backyard, kinfolk, soft spoken relapse. Raps crush venues to mics collapse. The haps desire the Polynesian rebel to all systems. Submit to nothing. Elevating mind state, annihilate Monday to Friday weekend. Stress the day of homage that keep brothers in bondage. Fools follow. That's why I fight for my people. Six or seven day adventurous bickering. Whose idol was real? Whose idol was greater? That's how it goes. So, yeah. And once again, as I, uh, you know, as I mentioned in that, uh, in that introduction, you know, the first, uh, the first hip-hop artist in New Zealand to win a Silver Scroll, that was a pretty big deal, right? At, at that time, there was no... There was a Damn Native, there was a Upper Hut Posse, which my wife was part of that group. But the other things too is like, you know, we all grow up. I went through my American phase. I went through my American phase. That was like maybe 16, 17. But at that time, uh, I, I grew, joined a group called Gifted and Brown. And we were, if you've ever watched Once Warriors again, our track was on that. There was like a, a skinny fella rapping just after Timberweta Morrison ate the muscle. And, and that was me. And that was my introduction to to, you know, like uh, music that gets released. So that was my first song that ever got released. And um, I, I got introduced to by producing, because we produce tracks as well, um, just by having to really quickly remix that track because it had a sample on it that wasn't to be allowed. So it, it's, it's a big thing for me to represent the South Pacific in, regardless of whatever I do. And so, Omar, you know, we, we, we talked about it. You're from Queen Bian. Uh, which is, is like a satellite 
town of Canberra, is yeah, that right? We we were there first, you know. Um, <laughs> you know, like uh, when, when they were trying to make a capital of Australia, they kind of put it halfway in between Melbourne and Sydney. But the, the reason they could do it was because there was already a town there called Queenbeyan, which meant clear waters because it was next to a, a river, a beautiful river. And um, and there was a train line going through there. But Queenbeyan got kind of a notorious reputation because Canberra, you know, it was a teetotaling place, but you could get liquor and all the bad stuff in Queenbeyan, you know. So that kind of stuck around for a while. Queenbeyan's changed a lot. You know, I'm not trying to say it's some crazy hood or something, but it's uh, it was more of a working town place, a working class place. And, you know, um, it was known as struggle town. And, and so there was always this difference between Canberrans and, and Queenbeyanites. And what about the music scene that you started kind of falling into? In, in well, you in know what? Like the, the, the one... Um, like pioneering Polynesian Australian MC was also from Queanbeyan. He's uh, Hao from Coolism, Hao Latukefu, amazing like pioneer of Australian hip hop in general. But he happened to come from where I came from, you know. So it was, it's really amazing. I don't know. There's kind of something in the water. We, we've got the best footy players in Australia and the and the best MCs. You know. <laughs> no. I mean, so, so for you, as soon as you started kind of putting pen to paper, and when when I guess you know you started writing lyrics and, and becoming an MC, was hip hop from the get go for you an outlet to talk about uh, issues about things that you you saw that you didn't feel uh, that you feel people needed to know about? Was it always that, or you went through your party rocking phase and then? Oh, of course, yeah. I mean, of course, a lot of it was you know braggadocio stuff, kind of uh, wordplay, um, talking about going out and, and and all that sort of stuff. But I, I mean, I'm kind of attracted in general to the darker side of things and and to dark subject matter. So I was talking about a lot of it from from very early on. So you've, um, you know, as, as, as we saw this section, uh, a, a, a track that was maybe particularly difficult to write or, or, you know, tapping into something that was very personal to you that, yeah. This is something that was incredibly hard to write, probably the hardest thing I've ever had to. Uh, when you're called Omar Bin Musa in Australia, uh, a post 9-11 Australia, um, people want to have all sorts of conversations with you, you know. Um, and uh, a lot of people, you know, whether they uh, support you or against you, you know, kind of expect you to to um, write about certain things uh, and I kind of shied away from it for many years but weirdly enough it does connect to a lot of what um, King Caps was talking about in the last piece as well so this is called it's called hard to say because it was hard to say I used to pray five times a day when I was younger I'd hear my dad calling me to prayer in the morning and if I wouldn't wake he'd tug me on the toe sprinkle water on my face I would know it was dawn and it's time to wake up wash face and feet Wishing I was still asleep, I would hear him recite from the Arabic language. It sounded beautiful, but I couldn't understand it. Because we only spoke Malay and English in our home. A vivid disconnect, but I know I'm not alone. Even so, it was a moment of peace. But the problem was I never believed. He would say, there is no compulsion in our faith. But if I challenged anything, he'd go into a rage. So I just went silent and I seethed all the while, just wanted reprieve. Man, this is too hard to say. This is getting too hard to say. It's too hard to say. I swear it's too hard to say. This is getting too hard to say. You see, some gonna hate, but some gonna relate. I'm only trying to find my way, find my way. Some gonna relate. Maybe one day we'll find our way. So I left home quietly, broke free, stepping out in society, so relieved. I was sipping on a cup more than happy enough to escape from the sermons and the piety. I was raised in a persecuted sect that preached pacifism and community respect. It just wasn't for me, but my heritage was something that I wouldn't reject, and my country had plans for me. My name, 
Omar bin Musa. I'm proud of it. But people bristle at the very sound of it. Every time I'm stepping on a Qantas, treated like a bomb threat. Every time the internet warriors are on deck with their death threats or there's a terrorist act. See me as a accomplice. Just as bad, the do-gooders wanting my analysis and the Islamic historical context. I tell them, this is too hard to say. It's getting too hard to say. It's too hard to say. I swear it's too hard to say. This is getting too hard to say. You see, some gonna hate, some gonna relate. I'm only trying to find my way, find my way. Some gonna relate, maybe one day we'll find our way. I'm trapped in the middle again, trapped in the middle again. I'm trapped in the middle again, trapped in the middle again. You see, my atheist mates think it's something I could jettison, like a dead star that I used to wish upon. They don't get it. You can't just wave a wand and just like magic, that part of you is gone. It's not as simple as that. Religion is culture, and culture in raps all the parts of yourself that you didn't even know were there. The way I do poems with flair, I learn it from the preachers, the way they do speeches, the incandescence that I seek in my art, caring about the poor, equality and charity. I learned from reading the Quran and paying zakat. They say, they say, you could have learned it outside religion. The fact is that I didn't. I'm trapped again, too Muslim for them and not enough for them. Where the hell will it end? Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you. So Capisi, you know, something that, uh, that that uh, Omar shared with us before, which is really beautiful, is the story of, of you know, his friend from school who was a Samoan in the diaspora who found your, uh, your music was, was a reminder of him, uh, of his home, of his real home, of his real culture. And, you know, definitely for a lot of Samoans in the, all, in the diaspora, your music was especially that, you know, uh, as Omar pointed out, that, you know, the, the way you dressed, everything, you represented your culture to the fullest. Uh, how was it for you when, you know, after the music had been released and, you know, Samoans had been, in, that, that lived in Samoa, had been listening to your music, going to Samoa for the first time to perform your music? And then, like, how special was it for you, those shows? It's a weird one, because uh, even though I, uh, I rap in English, uh, you know, I can speak Samoan, I'm not fluent, but I can understand and chat. But um, half of, most of my songs are in English, so the Samoans are going, hmm. <laughs> You know, they can't understand it because, you know, you go back and most, most Samoans can say, hello, and then maybe, you know, good day today. And, you know, and that's because they don't speak English in Samoan because they're Samoans, you know, they speak Samoan. So there's no use to actually speak English. And um, the only English they probably get is, is, is something that happens all the time. Six o'clock, one news is on every night. So that's their connection to Aotearoa that they have here. So um, it was cool, very, very cool. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things. Me and Shay Fu went and uh, performed at the 50th anniversary, which was really cool. And, and, and Shay reminded me that he was part Samoan. So that was the one thing I was like, that's right, I forgot. I thought he was Māori, but he's Samoan. So it was a real cool buzz for me to go back with my bro and my wife and for us to represent for uh, Aotearoa or just Pacific Islands that, that are born here in New Zealand that go back home. Because um, what's weird and what's cool is that we're lucky that I can go home 
You know what I mean? But the difference is, when, I'll keep on pushing this, this issue is that Māori's, this is their home. They are the original landowners. So, you know, people go, Sole, why do you talk about that stuff? It makes people feel uncomfortable. But, you know, I'm just going to say it once again. I'm pro Māori and I'm pro Indigenous people. And the Indigenous people of this country are Māori. So, yeah, there you go. That's what I think. Yeah. Yeah. Get him off, mate. Get him off. <laughs> ah, man. Don't, don't, don't stop. Don't stop, man. Okay, so lyrical prowess now. And, uh, you know, if anyone is familiar with your work, uh, Capisi, this is, uh, you know, this is where you, it's, uh, where you shine, where you excel. Um, you've chosen, a, well, before we actually go into this track, for you as, you know, as you delve more and more into hip hop, who were those MCs, you know, American MCs or MCs from anywhere in the world who's, who's just the dexterity, their flow, you really respected, you know? Uh, for me, I, I sort of like don't like the uh, the girls, um, you know, the sort of the money sort of type rappers that talk like, man, I've got a big house. Wicked. Congratulations, mate. You know, and th that type of stuff, that doesn't really impress me. I sort of go by lyrical, how they spit their rhymes and what they say. So um, guys talking about I own 10 cars, that doesn't impress me. Uh, you know, I you know, I don't know. It's just I, I go for lyrical cleverness or, clear, clear, you know, how, how clever they put their rhymes together and put their patterns together. That's, that's, that's what I look for. Like J.R.U. the Damager, Immortal Technique, uh, Karius One is incredible. Just guys that talk about conscious issues instead of just talking about money and bling bling. That's, yeah. Mate, yeah. Uh, so what track have you, uh, have you chosen right now? We're going for the lyrical prowess. We're going for one? lyrical oh, prowess. Okay, okay. Uh, shivers. Um, it, I've, okay, I've got a track called, um, it's called Graveyard Shift. And basically, it's it's a graveyard shift about digging, you know, graves for sucker MCs. So, um, an MC is a rapper MC. So basically, you know, you spit this at any time. Some hopefully some rappers are gonna say, "Are you talking about me, man?" You know, it's like that type of buzz. But um, it's, it, the chorus goes, "This is a graveyard shift. I see your name on the list. I'm trying to do my most uh, Vincent Price type of scary voice. This is the graveyard shift." I see your name on the list. And so the lyrics go, I'm here to get under your skin like scalpels and leeches. Avoid your best punches no matter how good your reach is. You from the street kids, I don't give a shit. We all have a cement road by a close by you dick. Villas is the burbia. I came to murder ya. You say you underground, but my style was dirtier. Serving thug bitches. LA to Serbia. Word spread like wildfire. No one's even heard of ya. Like the Grim Reaper, I'm taking your lives like Rambo Part 1 with my big ass steak knife. Camouflage and mud, you bastard, do a dive. Once you were just a maggot, now you acting all fly. I'll cut you, hunt you, confront you, tie you up in the back of my truck for a month or two. Burn the record store with your tracks in it. This is is my lifestyle. Yes, let's go get it. Okay, so that's verse one. Uh, yeah. Okay, verse two. Verse two, you like this guy. I got rhymes galore. Uh, verse two. It's like the world is anorexic, so I force feed my music. Triple my night shifts, the whole world's in crisis. I'm ruthless underground in every process. Highly abusive, you nagging nuisance. Knocking you toothless, you silly oofers. I'm like Morpheus in the training program for the Matrix, elusive. Your raps are truthless, I see your every movement. Pay your dues, kiss the caps, or rhymes inclusive. Revolution is with no restrictions. Feel my grip around your neck constricting. Fake music critics, hype industry illusion. Home intrusion. 
conclusion reflects Cap's conclusion. Your rhymes are ordinary, my rhymes prolific. Altered or born, son of the Pacific. We're taking over with this message booming. This is your eulogy. Don't it sound soothing? <laughs> One more time, that track was called? Uh, it's called Graveyard, Graveyard Shift, Graveyard Shift. All right, so, so Omar, for you, the same thing, like, uh, you know, as you delve more and more into hip-hop, who were, who were the MCs for you and, and, you know, maybe still are, maybe even in more recent times because, you know, I guess, uh, you know, with people like Kendrick Lamar, it feels like yeah. that, that whole thing is back. I think Kendrick Lamar really stands out right now. I mean, what he's doing is poetry, you know, and it's just so kind of off the wall and he's getting more and more eccentric, which I really like. But, um, yeah, I mean, originally, because I never had an incredibly, like, techie, complicated flow or anything like that, I always kept it very, very simple and kind of spacey and slow. You know, I've got a slow flow. So often when I work, like today, I was down in South Auckland talking to the kids and they were like, oh, sir, what's your fastest rap that you can do? You know, I was like, oh, I don't really have that many. <laughs> and, um, and uh, yeah, so... I. I liked guys like uh, Master Ace, um, Nas. I like Tupac a lot. So people who, who seemed like uh, they were delivering, using fairly simple direct language, but actually conveying very complicated or well, complex messages. Uh, I always like people like that. Awesome, man. Uh, what have you chosen for everyone right now? To uh... Uh, this doesn't even have a name. It's it's just new. It's new and exclusive uh, for you guys. But it's just kind of some wordplay and, and fun and trickery. So yeah, Queen Bian. The postcode is two six two zero. So I'm a 262 OG, this for the cats that forgot about me, a nerdy academic with a twist to the street, where my tongue lick a shot, then your heart skip a beat. I set it on fire like petrol and diesel, Mona Lisa's rest on my easel, rep for my people, lifelong quest to be equal, lethal injection, my pen is a needle. I see a more coming at me for the kill shot, that's why I got a lot of zannies in my pill box, a bit of Hilltop, a bit of Kim Scott, mix all that with a little bit of Gil Scott. To the lost and forgotten, people downtrodden. I tell them that I got them, I got them. Germinate ears with the word like pollen, I've been. Cooking underground like I'm Tongan. Terminate fears, the game's still rotten. No, I still got it from Tuggers to Bell Conan. Step up on the crease, I will bowl your wrongin'. Rugged, it's true, my valor is uncommon. OBM the chef. Franchise player, kind of like Steph, your man curry favor. About to blow up like a landmine crater. Do it for the love, I'm the anti-hater. Making the most, I've been waiting to blow. Patiently wait when I pace to and fro. Wait for my turn, but it's taking its toll. Hit you in the brain like a plate full of coke. Racist blokes, they're a waste, they're a joke. Wanna lock chains on my ankles and throat. Aim with a scope, get sank in the moat. But I'm feeling like I am a most dangerous foe. Brrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrr
So, you know, one thing I want to ask you, uh, for both of you really, is, you know, at a certain point of your careers, um, you know, some, some, some incredible things happened. You started getting noticed from, um, from outside your, um, you know, first of all, you started getting noticed outside your small town. You, then you, I don't know, what's the population of Queen Bianne? Uh, 30,000. 30, okay, so, so it is a relatively small town. But then, you know, within Australia, but then, um, you know, you start traveling the world. You start getting invited to, uh, to perform and, and do your art around the world. What did, what did traveling, and especially, you know, traveling to places <clears throat> like India and, and, you know, not just... European cities, England, UK, what did it do for your art and, and you know, what did it, how did it um, help the way you approached writing lyrics evolve? Uh, it opened my mind. It, it taught me about the commonalities that we have between so many cultures around the world and these kind of universal, universal feelings and emotions and truths that we're trying to get at. But it also told me that, it taught me that I have a, a lot to learn, like that you can never stop learning from, from other people and, and that every culture has its own kind of specific flavour and identity that you can take from. And uh, in Australia, I think particularly, um, you know, poetry had become so kind of academic and kind of dusty and on the page and reserved for an ivory tower that... But, um, you know, I kind of uh, go to places that have a rich uh, tradition of oral storytelling and performed poetry, and I just learn from them uh, in, in the way that you can... Uh, in Malaysia, for instance, when I go back there in Indonesia, people sometimes look like they fall into a trance of poetry, and, and people are um, willing to uh, make it much more theatrical and, and dramatic. So, yeah, I mean, it's opened my eyes a lot, and it's been a real, a real privilege to be able to travel doing what I love. Is there, is there a particular moment <clears throat> recently uh, in a particular country where you've, you know, you really have <clears throat> had your eyes open? And I guess <clears throat> let's keep it within the theme of hip hop, where you know you've you've seen hip hop being created and performed in, in, in a place that we, you know, we don't really hear oh, much. De yeah, definitely. Well, Bombay in India has got um, maybe the richest hip-hop scene in India. And, uh, you know, the kids, none of the kids are into DJing because, you know, who can afford decks? They don't really have that culture of, like, stealing spray paint the way in Australia and in America we kind of have that of doing graffiti. So the kids have their voices in their bodies. So the kids are really good at b-boying. They love b-boying. They love beatboxing. Um, in fact, their hero, which was amazing, was a friend of mine from Australia called Tom Thumb, an Australian beatboxer, and he's a hero in the slums of Bombay, uh, which was just amazing to me. And then they, they love rapping as well. So I went and hung out with a bunch of kids in uh, a place called Govindi, which is um, a slum in Bombay built on the oldest rubbish dump uh, in, in Bombay, which is about 90 years old, and it's kind of literal mountains of, of trash compacted in with generations of silt and kind of monsoon dirt. And, you know, if you walk down the street and kind of kick at the ground, you know, use condoms and syringes and cans come up. But the B-boys from there are just brilliant, world class, and they've got a room in an AIDS clinic uh, at the side, and they, and they have the music going the whole time, and there's like 50 of them in this tiny room dancing, and the only time the music stops is when the azan, the call to prayer, goes on, because they're all illegal Bangladeshi immigrants in this area. And, um, and it's, it, was, it was just amazing, like, you know, again, just like with my grandmother, it, this was helping them survive, you know? I mean, people in this area kind of die like 20 years younger, I think, than the rest of the population. And uh, they've got no papers, it's kind of a blacklisted area by the Modi government um, and the Hindu nationalists. So, I mean, this was one of their few ways of kind of escaping that pain and struggle and hardship. That was only a few months ago, right? It was like, yeah, two months, three months ago. And one more, one more time, the... Would their music be on SoundCloud or anything? Are they uploaded? Like, you mentioned the name of the slum that they're from? Oh, what are they? Oh, God, what are they called? They're called something like 
Culture Connect breaking crew or something like that. And I'm not sure. No, no. They're, they're, but they're getting the opportunity to go and dance in Brazil and France and Germany, but they're illegal, so they can't go. Um, so, yeah, it's a really, really difficult situation. But you could probably see a lot of stuff on YouTube. They all, put, they all upload it. And, and Capizzi, for you, you know, you, you kind of opened with that, uh, that statement. Well, earlier on in uh, the session tonight, you, you mentioned, you know, you never thought that uh, this little, not so little, uh, kid from, uh, from Samoa would, uh, would travel all around the world. Um, you know, for you, over the course of your career, what, what, had, what did uh, travelling and, and performing your music and getting to witness, you know, uh, other, uh, you know other, other art being performed uh, around the world, what did it do to help tell your music? I, I, th I think for me was... We knew we had our idols, and then we were able to actually jump on the same stage as our idols and rock the same stage as our idols, the people we really looked up by. I thought to myself, hey, I'm actually nearly as good as my favorite artist. So it changed my perception to go, we can actually kick it with the best artists in the world. Uh, we could get on stage with Janet Jackson, whoever, and just go, oh my gosh, we're on the same stage. And actually, we're not too bad. It just comes down to budgets and production, you know, levels of, of how much money they have to spend on their artists and how flash their videos are. I think one of the things as artists, when we become self-sufficient, we become our own clothing, uh, you know, we manufacture our own clothes, we start directing, editing, producing our own tracks, so we become self-sufficient. When you're in the record industry, you just not force-fed, but they sort of lead you into a place where, here you go, and then you go to a big lunch and have a, a big massive lunch with them, and then little do you know you're actually paying for that out of your own budget. So, you know, the record industry is a bit lethal, but it's, it's something that when you learn it, I'm just happy that when I came out on the other side, I, I ended up knowing all the record people I needed to know, how to make music, how to produce it, so I could actually become self-sufficient. And I think that what we need to do as artists, just as, you know, on the music buzz, is we have to spread that knowledge so younger artists can actually move up and don't need to become part of the whole uh, wheel of bullshit. Yeah. 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 So you know, as I, as I mentioned at the top, we're gonna we're gonna round things off on a you know uh, with a bit of a vibe. And um, you know, as I mentioned, man, when I was when I was seventeen, I think it was nineteen ninety seven. Um, and I think I remember, I definitely remember, I was working at a radio station called BFM at the time, and I remember the first time I heard Subcranium feeling, um, and it was it was just like nothing else you'd ever heard. And then especially. I was working on a, a Max TV was a music channel we used to have in the mid '90s, which is where we'd we'd see for the first time all these um, incredible hip hop videos by like Damn Native, Upper Hut Posse, and uh, when this video dropped, it was something else, man. Um, we're gonna round off. I assume we're running off a subcranium feeling. Yes, yes, we yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, cool, man. So tell you know, tell us about this track and what did this tr track represent for you? Um, this track was like a. a I was always on the buzz when we shot the music video. If you go home and actually look up Subcranium Feeling King Capisi, it was actually, I was always on buzzes when I watched other music videos. I was like, wow, check out. I've never seen that stuff. So in any of the stuff that, or the music videos that I shoot, I try to aspire to, let's just do something different that I've never done before. It's all right if someone else has done it before, but if I've never done it before, I'm cool. So what actually happened, my sister Sima, she, um, she did, she, uh, she directed it. My other sister, Macarita, produced it. And all of our friends down in Wellington came down. And, and it was shot in Kilburnie Pool. And the crazy thing was that 
uh, we did this thing where uh, it was in the diving pool. For some reason, I didn't have any breathing apparatus where everyone else did. And every time, for about 30 times, I had to swim down to the top, probably 15, 20 metres, and then hold my breath, and then slowly come up and pretend like I was singing a song while I was really um, uh, nearly suffocating myself. So by the end of clock, you know, about 3 o'clock, I nearly drowned. Every time I come up, every, the, 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 all the scuba du- dudes came in and saved me. Um, but when you watch it, you'll go, oh, shivers. He nearly lost his life that night because he was trying to do something cool. <laughs> um, but you know, it was it was it was different. The beat was made by Submariner, and um, and I think at that particular time, it just showed that you could do something different. And um, you know, um, I've I think I've if I add up all my music videos now, I'm actually at the most music videos or next to Shehad somewhere, wow. you know. But you know, I've, I've I've done 20 music videos from from that very first music video now, and so. We can always, this is funny because you write your rhymes, you make the beat, and then after you finish that, you actually have to take it to imagery. And so you have to attack that thing. So you become the writer, and then you become the beat maker, then you have to become the recording dude that actually goes into the studio, record your own stuff, you have to mix it, and then you have to do the next thing, you you know, you think of the... The, the process and, and you shoot your music video, you've got to edit it and then you've got to become your own sort of like uh, marketing tool. So that's one of the crazy things about this whole thing is that, you know, at some stage you just get better and better. You just learn different things and and um, I'm just, you know, happy to be here and, and, and keep on rocking it because we're still relevant because we haven't released stuff. And so, you know, one of the, the crazy things I find that within this industry is that a lot of my mates that used to rap, I see them, I say, bro, what up, man? You still rapping? And they go, I don't rap no more. And to me, that's pretty incredible because I love it. If you guys love poetry, I love rapping. I love rapping. So I can never see myself ever stopping. So it, 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 it freaks me out when people go, oh, that's what we used to do when we were younger. I was like, eh. <laughs> okay, wicked. I'll see you guys later. Uh, but. And I, so I believe that uh, the engineer, I believe we have a, a beat to play, but this is... Uh... It's called Subcranian Feeling. Just so we can stick the, 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 the vocals with the beat. Is that cool? Okay. Get him. How loud can this beat go? Can we turn the beat up, bro? Okay, can you guys hear me? We're good? Hey guys, really nice to see you. Hey, uh, it's my subcranian feeling. Dormant views for today. Subcranian feelings. Ready to take out my crew and never flake out. Subcranian feeling. Dormant views for today. Subcranian feelings. Ready to take out. Uh, Surf cats, you scavengers, I wary of my death. Seminars, rhyme, cannibal, pollinating headspace, races, conflicting ethics. Coincide in this method of society. I rule my domain through savage poetry. Few students follow. Life, time, dreams, tomorrow. Respect all music. Follow your dreams while in your teens. Schemes oblivious by the envious. Turn thy cheek for the meek. Nursery taunting. 
haunting obstacles loom while the deceitful croon diabolical savage thoughts to sort out the true few good men are in my prayers to you may overstayers let me bungee in your focus Superami, no hopeless eloping with stolen microphones with no MC diploma fear no system coconut format to make you listen fear no system coconut format to make you listen follow sorrow after dim demons gets the bags packed they in the pool, so them don't come and don't plant all the evil. Them my siblings, you know why them our roots follow sorrow. After them demons get the bags packed, they in the pool, so them don't come and don't plant all the evil. Them our siblings, you know why them our roots, the children, them our roots. You guys, all right? Everybody say ho! Say ho! Uh, my third eye sees regressing attitudes on colonists. Slow motion U-turns, opinions of devils. They frown upon us, looks of disgust or the savage. Stench over powers, but the king's gonna manage. Snake words of comfort used by missionaries. So their armies brought the union jack. Circles of gold, hellings of jewels. With the decency expelled my petal. Dormer voice of fury on the rebound comes this rebel. Crucifix conviction of my native gods been lost. Substitution Come, come, squad. Them want to sub us. Devils brought the plague and disease. Introduce tax fees. Oppressors come in many uniforms. Uproar is on it. Revolution is met. Yo, praise to my ways of old gods of old, 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 old. It's my subcranium feeling. Dominant views for today. Subcranium feelings Ready to take out my crew and never flake out Subcranium feelings Dormant views for today Subcranium feelings Ready to take out my crew and never flake out Flake out, flake out Flake out, flake out uh. My peoples never flake out Flake out, flake out, flake out So basically this song is about the stuff I always think, but people never say it. So it's my subcranium feelings, and basically, in an abstract way, that's what I said in that song. So, chair, hope you guys like it. Yeah, man. I got serious, serious nostalgia from that one, man. Yeah, such a tune. That's that's my youth right there. That one. Thank you so much, Bill. Uh, and man, we're going to run it off. This is uh, uh, with, with quite an interesting thing. So with uh, with Omar, we've got something brand new from you as well. Or, or you know, we're running off with the, with this big vibe thing. Now, um, this is this is really cool. I'm going to tell him exactly what happened. Uh, the the decision was that we were going to bring the the boys were going to bring an instrument and perform over that um, for the last track. Now, um, you know, as you heard, we just heard Subcranium Feeling. Caps brought that one in. Omar just like ten minutes before we got on went, oh no. I forgot the instrumental. But but luckily, you know, testament to the fact that we're working with two true artists straight away, Bill was like, hey man, I'll beatbox for you. Omar was like, all right. They jammed it out. And within like five seconds, it was like a vibe. So um, that's what we're going to go out on. Tell us about this track, man. This is just a silly, fun kind of party track called Laksa. It's about the Malaysian noodle soup. Um, <laughs> 
You know, in Australia, I'm not sure we have a, a national dish. Um, you know, people sometimes say maybe like roast lamb and spuds and kangaroo, carrots. kangaroo, kangaroo. Uh, you know, roast quiet. kangaroo tail. And uh, but no, I'm I'm trying to advocate I'm at the head of a movement, the spearhead, to make laksa the national dish of Australia. Uh, so this is part of it. So maybe I'll just lead off with the acapella and then. Yeah, bro. Could we just like make sure that this sort of because I want to beatbox on this mic, sweet, bro. Cool. Let's give it a go. So sometimes if the laksa is too spicy, you're just like, woo, this shit is hot, woo, this shit is hot, woo, this shit is hot, season it and stir the pot, woo, this shit is hot, woo, this shit is hot, woo, this shit is hot, serve it on a tabletop, ah, been waiting forever in line like a dude in a dog queue, cooking a spiritual soul food, chicken and noodles and tofu, giving the power to stand up and fight on your own, to win your own too. Fighting the powers that be that devour your mind when they're trying to control you. Nope. When I speed and pass, so unseen when I eat the bars. So out green when I free at last. So my seeds in the ears and hearts. What? To the dear departed, honor your name when I leave my mark. When the beacon spark in the streets are dark, let me know now where my people are. Watch out this pipe on your tongue. Watch out this might burn your temperature, up when your mind is unsensitive. I'm heating the soup on a stove and I stir in the sun. Watch out, I might be the one. Watch out, you might get addicted. You're telling your people you're losing the plot and the track and the who and the what you become. I summon the past, making you bounce so you're coming apart. Fixing my pot with the sun. And the stars, heaven and hell and my culinary art. The summer is ours. Fuck all the cynics and wankers. Nevertheless, you're serving you up with a banquet. And I got you saying, Woo! This shit is hot. Woo! This shit is hot. Woo! This shit is hot. Season it and stir the pot. Woo! This shit is hot. Woo! This shit is hot. Woo! This shit is hot. Serve it on a tabletop. Give it up for my Kikapisi! Wow, incredible stuff. Let's, let's hope that's uh, just the first of, of many future performances with the two of you on the stage doing something in some way, shape or form. Look, ladies and gentlemen, that is, that is it for us. Thank you so much. You guys have been an incredible audience. Thank you. <laughs> hey. Thank you. Wow, really. Thank you guys so, so much. Wow. I'm Aaron Capisi. Don't forget, if you want to chat with these guys, uh, you can ask them anything you want, one-on-one. -on -one. They're going to be at the artist signing uh, area straight after this. And uh, we've got to say a big, big thanks to APRA as well for helping make this whole thing up. And thank you, guys. You guys have been an incredible crowd. Thank you. Our 2016 Auckland Writers' Festival podcast series is proudly powered by Spark. You can find a range of other talks, interviews and discussions on iTunes, on SoundCloud or on our website, writersfestival.co.nz.